226 kids came out, uh, which is, again, just under 50% of what we normally would have. Um, of those 426 or so uh, campers, 53 kids made first-time commitments to follow Jesus, and I think that is so worth it, so worth it. <clears throat> Get really excited about that. Excuse me. Pretty awesome. 84 kids made uh, recommitments and, and to their faith. I mean, it, it's, it's a powerful thing what happens when you, when you get away, and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, so it was pretty cool. We, our, our team worked really, really hard to even have uh, summer camp last summer. Uh, you know, we had, uh, we had to kind of shift where we were eating, you know, and, and you could use the dining hall, but it couldn't be 100% capacity, right? So we ate in other places and ate outside. We did chapel uh, outside. You saw that uh, this last year, uh, and uh, the Lord was uh, gracious in that we only one time had to move, like, inside and split the group up <laughs> because of rain. Uh, it, was a, it was a good summer that way. We're going to do the same again this year because actually the kids loved it. They loved having chapel outside, so we're going to uh, do the same again. Uh, but we, we, we had to make some obvious adjustments and lots of extra cleaning and masks and gloves and all these things. Uh, but again, worth it entirely. Uh, we've got a, a full summer uh, planned uh, this, this summer. All the weeks are open. Uh, we're 100% capacity. Uh, so uh, even that's uh, better, meaning we can uh, put... Um, you know, every, one person in every bed that we have. There are, uh, so, so registration's open, and uh, they're actually trending uh, pretty normal to what, you know, prior to 2020, which is just fantastic. Uh, so we're looking forward to the Lord doing a great work in the lives of young people again this summer. So we're very excited uh, about that opportunity. And so that's where we're headed. That's what we're doing. Um, and, and I, you know, to me, it kind of begs the question, I would, I would say, uh, why? Why do we do all of this? What's, what's the point and the purpose? And clearly, kids are meeting uh, Jesus, and uh, kids are um, uh, recommitting to their faith and have these uh, moments where they can really focus in, right? But, of course, we're open year-round, and there are other groups that come out uh, that spend the weekends, uh, youth groups and uh, men's groups and all kinds of folks. And why do we, why do, we do all this? Well, I want to share with you the mission statement of Camp Rivercrest, and it starts like this. Most people struggle to focus on what matters most. Most people struggle to focus on what matters most. I think that's true for me, for sure. I don't know if you find it true about you, but I think it's true of most people. It's, a, it's difficult to focus on the things that matter most. So at Camp Rivercrest, we create the space to focus on God and each other. We create the space to focus on God and each other. We know that God and each other are the most important things because of the, uh, the greatest commandment, right? And so that's what we're there to do. And we, when we say we create the space, it means a couple of things. Uh, clearly, we, are, uh, we have a property. We have a place that you, people come to. Uh, you could go and see. And we uh, try to keep that property uh, just as beautiful as possible. And we want that uh, experience when you come to camp to j just coming on the property. I, I, my hope is it's um, so covered with the Holy Spirit and uh, so beautiful that people would know the love of Jesus just by coming on the property. Uh, but it also, uh, space, creating space is also about time space, right? When you um, say you're going to go on a weekend and it's at Camp Rivercrest, when you sign up for a summer camp, you're clearing the dates on your calendar, and you're saying, I'm going to this, this, this place, but I, I've made time in my life to do that, right? So we're creating the space to focus on God and each other. 
But why is it so hard to focus on God and each other? Again, I assume we all find it difficult. Why is it so hard to focus on God and each other? I think um, there's, there's probably a host of reasons that that's true, but I want to mention just a couple that I think are true about all of us. The first is uh, busyness. We are all very busy people. It's part of our culture today. Always running to the next thing. Um, again, I've got four teenagers. Uh, youngest is 13, oldest is 18. Uh, two of them can drive. One has a permit. Uh, uh, they have jobs. They like to play ultimate frisbee. They babysit and mow lawns. Uh, three of them uh, play a sport. Uh, all of them have you know birthday parties to go to and homework to do and youth group events to attend. Uh, as I mentioned, my wife works full time in, in, in the high school ministry, and uh, so the the kids uh, they aren't just you know in the high school ministry. They also kind of work <laughs> in the high school ministry, right? They they go early and set up. They stay late and clean up. Uh, they hand out the flyers, they, they clean up the flyers, right? They do all the things. Uh, they help decorate and do announcements. Uh, in fact, today, uh, my youngest, my eighth grader, uh, Cadence, she is, uh, they have this um, sort of leadership uh, conference they're doing. They call it nine to nine. It's all day today for the middle school. And she, with a, another friend and a, an adult, are doing a breakout session. So she's speaking today. Uh, my junior son um, spoke a couple weeks ago at youth group in part. They're involved, and it's busy. Uh, there's a lot going on at our house. And I'm, they're, they're really amazing kids, and it's not that hard to manage them. They're just very independent and wonderful. Uh, they all get good grades, and it's, it's really easy, honestly. But it is, it's, it's still busy, right? There's a lot going on uh, in our household. Uh, so, our, but, but, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you have had kids or you just in general, uh, even if your kids are grown, there's so much going on in our lives and it makes us uh, really, really busy. And it's a struggle to focus on God and each other when we're busy. It's a struggle. The other thing I would say uh, that keeps us from focusing on God and each other is distraction, Distraction. Our, our brains are not wired to have a lot going on, right? They can really only focus on one thing at a time. You, you may remember it wasn't that long ago that there was a lot of kind of talk and hype about multitasking, uh, doing more than one thing at a time. And it wasn't too long into that kind of season, I felt like it, the research came out that you can't actually multitask in the sense that you can't do, focus on more than one thing at a time. You're actually task switching when you're multitasking. You're going back and forth from this thing to that thing, from this thing to that thing. And uh, some of us are better at that than others, but again, we're really only wired to focus on one thing at our time. So we get distracted and we get off track, um, you know, and uh, it, it's, it's difficult. It happens to me on a regular uh, basis. I kind of forget, you know, what I'm talking about or where I was at or what's going on. Um, I could make a joke here about, you know, like I actually got lost in my sermon. But that, I feel, would be, you know, I would I'd be pushing it, so we won't do that. Um, dist- distraction um, is about really kind of being interrupted, Right? And uh, this took a huge turn for the worse when we got smartphones, right? Smartphones interrupt us uh, all the time. 
I watched a, a, a docu, docudrama, as they call it, recently. Maybe you've seen it. It's on Netflix. It's called The Social Dilemma. Anybody else? Yeah, I hear yes. Yeah, I watched that. And it kind of unnerved me, right? I mean, it was about what's happening, what all the social networks are trying to do. And what they're trying to do is get your attention. Uh, here's a couple of uh, quotes, a few quotes from the movie. Uh, it said, if you're not paying for the product then you are the product. If you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. Uh, more specifically, uh, our attention, this is the second quote, our attention is the product being sold to advertisers. So if uh, you're, uh, the game you're playing, the app you're using, right, it has uh, ads in it and they pop up, right, and they distract you from what you're trying to get done. Uh, they're paying the advertisers are paying, uh, say, the Weather Channel app, right? And it comes up, and I, the, the, the advertisers are paying for my attention while I'm using that app. So, you know, I, I like to not pay for things. So if I'm going to get the free version of an app, that's great. But I've also learned perhaps I should maybe pay to get the pro version so I don't have to be interrupted because that's my attention that they're getting. Here's another quote from the movie. There are only... Uh, and this is a bit unfair, I think, just a, just a heads up. But it says, there's only two industries that call their customers users, illegal drugs and software. <laughs> now, those are very different things, but it kind of cracks me up, and uh, it's something to think about, you know. Um, but it's a struggle to focus on God and each other, the things that matter the most when we're distracted. So busyness and distraction are a huge part of how we, we get, you know, what makes it a struggle. How do we get here? If you're like me, you wonder, how did this happen? How did we get so distracted and so, so busy? Here's a couple critical points in history, I think, that, that have lended to this. So think about this with me. 1879, the light bulb gets invented. Wonderful, wonderful invention. We're using several right now around the room, right? And it's helpful. But this allowed us to stay up past sundown or get up before sunup. So we could not go to bed with the sun, but whenever we wanted to or whenever the work was done. And this changed the rhythm of people, right? Because you could do work as long as you wanted or stay up as long as you wanted. 1913, the assembly line was invented by Henry Ford, and the time it took to build a Model T went from 12 hours to an hour and 33 minutes. And at the time, they thought, we're going to work two days a week. We'll get the same amount of work done in two days. It'll be amazing. Well, they didn't take three days off. They worked five days and continued to build and just produce, 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 right? We didn't use our uh, extra time to take care of ourselves. We just used it to produce more. Again, the assembly line, not a bad thing. I'm just walking you through some historical moments, maybe. In 1985, we're going to jump all the way to 1985, laptops were invented. So I'm even just skipping computers in general, but laptops in 1985. Now we can bring our work with us wherever we go. 1990, just five years later, the World Wide Web became uh, usable by most people, and it was, uh, you know, we can access information from 
anywhere you have an internet connection. And so again, wow, just, just the access, right, M makes us uh, change maybe how we're, where, where our focus is. And 1995, cell phones, generally speaking, not smartphones, but just cell phones were invented. You can call pretty much anyone from anywhere. You no longer call a place, now you just call a person. Very different and very uh, interruptive and distracting. And then in 2007, the smartphone, which we've already talked about, uh, can be incredibly uh, distracting. Our attention is, is the product. So uh, that's maybe just a few ways where we, we got to this place where we're so busy, we're so distracted, and it's keeping us from focusing on the most important things. So, so where does this leave us? Is there a solution? I think uh, the answer is a different rhythm to your life. We must decide to take strategic pauses in the middle of our busy lives. I believe we need to put down our phones on a regular basis. And I believe we need to model our lives after the life of a certain gentleman you might be familiar with named Jesus. No surprise there. So let's look at a couple scriptures. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, I don't know if he's normally on the screen. I did not bring slides today, but um, if you've got a Bible, I want to turn to Luke 5. We'll look at a few passages today. We're going to start with Luke 5, and we're going to start at verse 12 and read through 16. Luke 5, 12 through 16. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Verse 16, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That last verse, as a part of that passage, often gets skipped because of the miraculous healing that Jesus did for this leper. There's a lot going on in that passage, but after this big event, and as crowns pursued Jesus, it mentions Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus had a different rhythm than I do. He left the crowds to go off by himself, and he did it often. I'm not so good at this. Uh, if there are people that need me, I want to be there for them, right? I want to help. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Let's look at another one. Matthew 14. I'm going to skip back a few uh, books there. Matthew 14. We're going to start at 13 and go through 23. Matthew 
The context of this passage here in Matthew 14 is that John the Baptist has just been beheaded, Jesus' friend. And uh, it goes like this, Matthew 14, starting at verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. <clears throat> After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So here we see Jesus, both before and after this large event, <clears throat> He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place at the beginning, and then he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He really did often withdraw, right? We're, we're sensing a different rhythm from Jesus than probably the way I normally live. He intentionally withdrew to be by himself and talk to his father. If I did this, if you did this, would it not change your rhythms for the better? So after, I think, hopefully saying, yeah, we can agree, Jesus had a, had a different rhythm. He, he intentionally withdrew on a regular basis. Um, we, you know, how do we apply this? What does this look like in our own lives? Uh, what does this look like day to day? Here, here's a couple of thoughts um, as, we, as we look at how to apply this. Uh, number one, maybe we could actually practice the Sabbath. We know the Sabbath is important because God made it a part of creation and he put it in the Ten Commandments. And when I was growing up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the culture on the Sabbath was still fairly evident. Very uh, Christian Reformed uh, town uh, and no one was out mowing their yard and everything was closed. Uh, nothing was open, no gas stations, uh, nothing. I remember my dad planning on a Saturday, we got to get gas today because it won't be open tomorrow, right? So uh, that, that's a memory I have. We had quiet times every Sunday afternoon, uh, and uh, the only activities were church activities. And I'm not saying that's the only way to Sabbath anymore or that that's uh, the only correct way. Uh, I do occasionally mow my lawn on a Sunday. It's, it's rare, but I, I, I have done it. Uh, or do another work project. But I do think we're missing out on a better version of the Sabbath uh, than, than I, uh, maybe, that we currently practice. Let's actually look at one more uh, quick scripture to see Jesus' heart on this, uh, this Sabbath idea. Uh, it's going to be Mark 2. 
Mark 2, 23 through 27. So in Mark 2, 23, we read this. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was made for people to observe it, to rest. It was not made so people could make up a bunch of rules about how to observe the Sabbath perfectly and just obey the law, right? So I, I don't know that we're having to um, f- form to any, uh, anyone's necessarily idea uh, of what it looks like to observe the Sabbath, but we do need to carve out time, uh, I think, intentionally. And you might think, we aren't following any more of those, those rules anymore that the, uh, that the high priests were so concerned about. So are we good? Are we, are we good there? And I would say no, because there's still cultural rules that exist today that make it hard for us to practice the Sabbath. We aren't, uh, I know it's difficult for me to actually observe a Sabbath day. Why? Because th- these rules uh, make it difficult. There's stuff to do on what culture calls a Sabbath day, a Sunday. There's stuff to do. Sports, yard work, errands, haircuts, shopping. And when I get caught up in that, suddenly Sunday is, is just another Saturday with church service in the morning. And I don't treat it like a Sabbath. Now, Sabbath can happen on a different day than Sunday, right? As a person in ministry my entire life, pretty much, right, I was working on a Sunday. Um, so anyone in ministry has to figure out how are they going to observe the Sabbath, uh, if you have, a, have a, many jobs, uh, retail especially, right, unless you work for Chick-fil-A or uh, Hobby Lobby, you, you're probably going to end up working on a Sunday somehow. How do you observe the Sabbath? And uh, it, you can be, it can be done in, in lots of ways. You can pick a different time uh, that makes sense for you. Um, but we, did, we need to, you know, intentionally carve out time uh, to, to, to rest, right, to, to refill uh, and... Uh, I think we all could probably uh, figure out a way to do that. So that's one of the first ways you can start to create different rhythms in your life by actually observing the Sabbath in some way, figuring out how am I going to take, take time to focus on the things that matter most. The second thing you could do practically, uh, really, is just to quit something. There's so much going on. You're doing so much. There's probably something that you're doing you don't have to be doing that somebody else could fill in if you weren't doing it. I'm sure all the things you're doing are good things, but the question is, are they the things God would have you do right now? Uh, This example I'm about to tell you is not, um, I'm not necessarily recommending this for everyone, otherwise I'd be in trouble with the pastor, okay? But I'm telling you, uh, one of the ways I quit something uh, a few years ago was I quit helping at youth group. (laughs) 
But if you're helping in kids ministry or youth group or whatever you're helping with at church, this is not, I'm not saying you also quit working at church. But for me, being in ministry my entire life, I was, I was, I was, I was helping Sunday nights at youth group. Um, and I could tell that my soul was not into it anymore. I was, it was a little drained. Uh, Sunday nights, uh, for so long, it was my job to, to do youth group. Um, so now that it wasn't my wife's job, but I'm helping her, and I just, it wasn't bringing me the joy that it used to bring. So I, for me, I said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away. And remember, my wife works there. I mean, it was like a big deal for me to do this. So I stepped away from helping at youth group on Sunday nights, uh, and I, I was no longer needed on Sunday mornings because my job was not, you know, at the college uh, at the time was not um, uh, a Sunday morning gig, right? It wasn't a ministry at a church. So I now had Sundays completely open. And it was the first time in a long time that I felt like I had a full Sabbath day. Right, I would I would wake up. It was it could be a slow start. I'm drinking coffee and whatever. We get the family to church, all very normal. But again, as they get older and I've got teenagers, we got multiple drivers. You know, people half of them weren't even at my house because they slept at a friend's house. We see them at church and we, and then after church, you know, lunch and then I do what's the best possible way to take a nap on a Sunday afternoon is watch golf, you know? Uh, so I would <laughs> turn on some golf and, uh, and fall asleep on the couch. And, and then uh, as everyone left to go to youth group, all my kids are in youth group, my wife's working there, and I didn't have to get up. And it was the weirdest feeling, and it, uh, it made my Sundays an actual Sabbath day. And again, I didn't feel like I had practiced it really very well for years. Is there something in your own schedule now that would allow you to pull back a little bit and give more time to focusing on the things that matter most? Again, the things you're doing are probably good things, but does God want you doing all of those things and making yourself busy, busy, busy? Author Jefferson Bethke and his wife uh, have an annual practice that helps them keep their life less busy. Every year they uh, take uh, every commitment that they have at the time and they write them down on a three-by-five card. Soccer, ballet, Boy Scouts, sitting on this board, their jobs. Every, every commitment that they have, they write them down on a three-by-five card and they lay them out on the kitchen table. Then they pray through which ones God would have them pick back up for the next year. What a, what a beautiful way, right, to stay in touch with what the Lord has for you and not getting overly busy. Praying through all the commitments in your life. So one is actually practice the Sabbath. That's the first way you could uh, Focus on the things that matter the most. The second way is that maybe you need to quit something and create some, you know, some margin in your life. Uh, third, and finally, uh, I would just encourage you to be smarter than your smartphone. Be smarter than your smartphone. Uh, I love technology, not against it at all. But we have to make sure it's a tool that we use, not us becoming the tool. Be smarter than your smartphone. There's a lots of info and books and studies out there that you can look into right now about, um, about all the yeah, smartphone usage and what's happening in your brain, all this stuff. Simple, practical way is to turn off 
all notifications except what is necessary, which, you know, you want to be able to take a phone call probably, um, and maybe uh, even text messages, right? Uh, but beyond that, do you need notifications for anything else, really? You could go through and turn off everything, like I said, whether it's the Weather Channel, ESPN, uh, you know, all the different places I'm getting notifications from, and every time the, the screen lights up or every time it buzzes, right, my attention goes to that versus whatever I was doing. And so uh, one just really practical way is to go through your notifications on your smartphone and turn off almost everything. Uh, another, just kind of along those lines, potentially you create, um, uh, along with your, your new Sabbath rhythm, uh, where you put down your smartphone for the entire, entire day. Wow, that'd be hard. I've not done that. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. That would be so difficult, right? And we don't, we don't even have a home phone line, right? So I would have to have it at some level. But uh, if the whole family's there, potentially, if your family is, is, uh, is gathered, um, what if you put them all in a box and, you know what I mean, turn them, turn them off? Uh, and everyone, you know, maybe, maybe you get 15 minutes, right, in the middle of the day and everybody goes checks and comes back. I mean, it would change the way you uh, feel about how you use your smartphone. Uh, I, I know people who leave their smartphones, uh, uh, like, f- for 24 hours, and they look forward to it. Or if they're just going on a date with their, their wife, they just... One of them gets to leave their smartphone, uh, like they switch off. And it's become this point where he loves, this guy said he loves when it's his turn. Because, he, so he actually looks forward to it. Whereas right now, I figure I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, how would I even function without that? Well, he's like, I've gotten to a point where I actually love putting it down. It's an amazing thing. So, be smarter than your smartphone would be the third way. Um, let me conclude with... Uh, this story and quote from a book that I read called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And if you're looking for another resource on how to, um, how to, how to slow down your life, this would be, I would recommend this one highly. Uh, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Uh, he's, in, in the book, he tells a story about how in Oregon, where he, he lives, uh, he uh, get, likes to get up early and do his devotionals on his deck, but he notices every day that there's this group of runners, probably Nike-sponsored, because, again, they're, they're out of Oregon, so uh, they get up really early, too, every morning. But they're not doing their devotions. They're heading out on a run, right, on a long run, he said, and they are very fit people. They look good, even in the spandex that they're wearing. I mean, they look good. And he goes, uh, they, they, all, they go out to do their thing. Uh, it's, and he says, I, I want that. He goes, I want to look fit. I want to be fit. I want to, I want to look like that. I want to be in shape. But he realizes that to do that, he'd have to have a very different lifestyle. For example, instead of eating pizza for dinner and watching Netflix until midnight, he'd have to eat vegetables for dinner and go to bed early. Instead of having coffee on his porch at sunrise in his bathrobe, he'd have to be out on a, on a run, pushing his body to its breaking point. <clears throat> Different lifestyle. <clears throat> so he tells this whole story, and then he writes this. He says, the reality is, I want the life, but I'm not willing to adopt the lifestyle behind it. I think that's how a lot of us feel about Jesus. We read the stories of Jesus, his joy, 
his resolute peace through uncertainty, his unanxious presence, his relaxed manner and how in the moment he was. And I think I want that life. We hear his open invite to the life to the full and think, sign me up. We hear about his easy yoke and soul deep rest and think, gosh, yes, I need that. But then we're not willing to adopt the lifestyle. Most people struggle to focus on what matters most. We create the space to focus on God and each other. Will you create the space to focus on God and each other? Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the lives you've given us and for the opportunity to be a part of this church and this community and this fellowship of Christianity. Uh, and we, uh, we strive to pattern our lives after yours. God, if you're pricking any hearts this morning, I pray that uh, we would respond. Help us to have the courage to respond to whatever it might be that you're asking us to change about our daily and weekly, yearly rhythms. God, whatever is of you, uh, may we take that and, and, and use it. And whatever is not, may we let it go away. Again, thank you for this opportunity to be a part of your uh, life, this invitation you've given to us. Help us to, to steward it and do a great job with it. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, Andy. Um, and again, I did, as I mentioned last week, when I had forgotten uh, normal practices that we kind of do here, if you would like to give a love offering to Camp Rivercrest to Andy, you can put it in the the box, and then that would be given to him over the next couple weeks. Um, we will also have a sign-up on the back table. We're going to organize kind of a, a help day, half day, coming up at the end of April, early May. If you and your family would like to be a part of that, to go to the camp, to help with some different projects that they have going on, we're going to continue to try to partner with this ministry and, and help them in the ways that we can bless them with the gifts that we have been given as well. So let's, let's pray over the camp ministry in this upcoming summer and for Andy and his times of Sabbath as well. Father, we just, we thank you for having a camp like this so close to us within our district um, that the churches around the area have supported for years. And Lord, many uh, of our kids that are grown now have enjoyed this camp through, through the years. They've been counselors there. And as the next generation of kids come up, Lord, we want to encourage them as well um, to find places of rest, to find places of Sabbath, to get away from the normal rhythms of life and to focus on you. Lord, we praise you that we have these types of opportunities. And we pray for uh, this upcoming season that everyone would stay healthy and safe, that the different procedures would not be overbearing or scare people away, but Lord, that it would be full camps. And Lord, that your word 
would break through to the hearts of our youth and teens. We pray for the other ministries and how the grounds are used throughout the year, that, that they would be a blessing to the pastors, to the groups, um, to the businesses. They take um, advantage of the facilities that are there. And Lord, we do want to lift up Andy as he, as he guides and he directs uh, this organization. Lord, help him to find that quiet time with you, to be his guide in all things. And Lord, may we just continue to praise and glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Will you please stand for our last song? <clears throat>